Christopher Nolan continues to experiment with narrative structure as he starts the film at the end of the story and works backwards to its beginning. Let's explore why it fits the film's protagonist and everything else that makes Memento truly special. Welcome everyone to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter, that is David. You know, I've had more rewarding friendships than this one, though I do get to keep telling the same jokes. Very good. This is a movie podcast, and we are currently in Christopher Nolan's season, because he's got a new movie coming out. In fact, that should be next week's episode, if everything goes to plan. Uh, (laughs) But, we did following last time, and then this episode, we're going to his first movie that most people tend to have heard of. Um... And that is Memento. We're going to talk about Memento. We'll start spoiler-free. We'll give you a warning before we go into the spoilers. Uh, but this is very much the one that people oh. know of as his, you know, quote-unquote first movie. But it's not really, because we did Following. Following was yeah. first. But... Yeah. And you say we'll start spoiler-free, but are you sure we're not ending spoiler-free? Or <laughs> in the middle, spoiler-free? <laughs> very good joke. Very good joke. Maybe I should have started the show by saying the outro instead. Just, yeah, just, exactly. Just, just, just put up the joke. Patreon producers and then say... <laughs> yeah, so... Memento... As much as most people think of it as Nolan's first movie, I feel like the vast majority of people probably came back to it after Batman Begins came out. That was probably oh, yeah. when people started to get to know him and it was like, oh, what did he do before this? And that's when they went back and saw this in Insomnia, probably. Mm-hmm. So... We'll get into it, though. This came out in 2000. Yes. So, right at the turn of the, the century. This was the last possible movie where Guy Pierce's haircut could have worked. <laughs> yeah, Guy Pierce is in here in the lead role, and it is, you know, known primarily as the movie that goes backwards, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some more intricate details to it than that, but that is the, the, the quick selling point, is this is the movie that goes backwards. Uh, but it's also got Carrie Ann Moss in there, and a supporting role, uh, Joe Pantoliano was in there, or Joey mm-hmm. Pants, as uh, I usually just call him. Um, uh, and also in a small role, Flash from Batman Begins uh, is there. Yeah. So as soon as he as soon as he popped up, I'm like, well, somebody must have gotten on the director's good side because he keeps sticking around for a while. Yeah, he pops up again. Um, also, uh, BB from Frasier has got a small role in there, oh. which is I'm not familiar with Frasier. Okay. Watch. I don't know. Uh, Sammy, Sammy's wife is uh is BB. Oh, Frasier. okay. Right. I and mean, then... I know I know Sammy himself. Oh yeah, that's, that's what uh... I. Yeah, he's yeah. he's a character actor who pops up in a lot of stuff. Most people probably know him from Groundhog Day. Yep. Uh, and all the stuff, but uh, that's Stephen Tablowski, who's uh mm-hmm. we're talking about there. So you got that. Um, you got you, know, so you got this cast. You got this interesting premise. Uh, the gist of it is that Guy Pierce plays a character named Leonard. Uh, who has short-term memory loss, meaning that he remembers all of his life up until a certain day. And, you know, when we get to spoilers, we'll talk about, like, what that turning point is. But he remembers his life, he remembers his skills, everything he learned growing up. But ever since an incident, he cannot make new memories. So he, you know, maybe he'll be coherent for about 10 minutes. It seems to vary. But then Mm -hmm. his memory resets and he doesn't remember what he was just doing. So the whole idea of the movie going backwards is that we are never get, we never have any more information than he does because we always go because we're going back the way we never know what just happened so we're always in the same shoes as him as a character right. 
That's the that's the that's the linchpin of the whole thing. That's what supposedly is going to make it all work. Uh, and spoiler, it does work. So <laughs> what? Wow. So no, I, I mean, I I I don't think that there is a better movie in terms of getting you to completely fill the protagonist's shoes. Like plenty, there's plenty of movies where it's like it appeals to your emotion. Like when we did John Wick and stuff like that. Where it's like, oh, no, you feel for John Wick. You understand why he's upset and stuff like that. But this is the only movie where you get into the character's complete mindset. Where you think the way that they think, just by how the movie is presented. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that doesn't quite work, of course, is that as the movie goes on and we're going backwards, we do know what his future is. But that's Mm -hmm. okay, because the character... I mean, the character's hoping for a future, but... Yeah, uh, it's all about the fact that he doesn't remember what's just happened. So the movie mm-hmm. uses that. It's like it's it's very easy to call it a gimmick movie, and I, I guess in a way it is a mm-hmm. gimmick movie. But the gimmick is not like hollow. The gimmick is entirely tied to the character's condition and the themes that it's playing with, and the idea of basically what you can trust and what you can't trust if you can't remember anything. You know, and the character yeah. leaves a lot of notes. He he writes things down on photographs. He writes things on his body. Like, this is the big thing of the movie, is that he's, he's got this information. And I think from very early on, you start to think, like, how much can you really trust this information if you can't remember where it came from and right. how you got it and so on and so on. And that's really what the movie starts to play with. And mm-hmm. um, Yeah, there's actually some interesting comparisons that I would like to make to following once we're in spoilers. Same. Yep. But, uh, yeah, we can, we can dive into all that in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so obviously I'd seen this before, uh, a, a few times at this point, yeah, you'd seen it, mm-hmm. uh, but we always start with just the general impressions and ideas, and so sometimes that also is in the context of, like, how do you feel about it now after so many viewings, but uh, David, how did you feel about Memento? So, I first watched this movie, probably, I, it was probably like Dark Knight, roundabout there Mm. where i was like oh hey it's christopher nolan guy he's pretty good what else he do same as you were saying but um strangely enough i actually rewatched this movie just like two months ago because uh my girlfriend had actually never seen it so i sat her down we watched through it and so it's very fresh on my mind which allowed me to on this viewing get more into the details because i remembered Mm. specifically things that were going to come up things that were happening and it allowed me to like call out little moments that on a first time viewing, nobody would have thought was anything. But then when on the turnaround, I'm like, oh, they said the thing there. And that's going to go. That's the thing later on or earlier, however you want to phrase it. So all that combined, what did I think on as the movie as a whole? I yeah, I think it's great. I think it's a it's a perfect little snapshot into how creative Christopher Nolan can get with the medium of film, as I think we see more elaborated on with things like inception interstellar and tenet of these things that yes they can work in other mediums Uh, obviously this was based off a short story that his brother wrote but i think that it just adds that little extra something being able to see it in film where you're not easily able to just like turn a page back or skip a page forward or anything like that you have to follow it in the order it is presented um as for this particular viewing like i said I got a lot more details out of it than I otherwise would. I did the whole page of notes that not only keeps track of it chronologically, but also in the order of the film. So helps me understand character motivations a lot more seeing it like that. (laughs) 
Yeah, the movie's great. I I think, you know, it was when Batman Begins came out and that movie surprised me so much because I didn't know who he was and mm-hmm. I wasn't even expecting anything from that film and it was kind of like, it kind of reignited my love of a character that I hadn't loved since I was very young. And keep in mind, you know, I was, what, 16 when that came out, so it's not like I was, I was old, but it'd been a <laughs> while since I'd even looked at a Batman thing. Right. And I liked it enough that this was the era where I was just blind buying DVDs and I, I bought Memento and I bought Insomnia because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to see more of this guy's stuff. And this was such a unique movie that uses its narrative structure to not only put you in the shoes of the character, but as a way to conceal information. And I think you can do this in other mediums, like you say, but one of the things that film has that, uh, you know, it's certainly written media doesn't have, would be visual cues and just something mm. as simple as like so there's actually a second timeline that's going forward in the movie but that's always presented in black and white so visually right. there's never a doubt in your mind like it's very easy to get the structure as you're watching it because it just becomes quite clear when we're in color we're going backwards when we're in black and white we're going forwards and the movie mm. just kind of is easy to follow because of that and i think that because you can have things like visual visual cues and audio cues i think it this for, this format lends itself to this premise in a way that a lot of other things, you know, arguably are equal uh, with different techniques, but equal between the different formats. You know, versus you know, a book versus a thing. Um, right. Something as simple as like when you get to the end of a scene in this movie and you get a little snippet at the start of the scene that you already saw earlier, just to link them up, just to say, hey, this is where this intercepts with the other scene you already saw. Um, and you get into this rhythm of the movie where it's got a loop where you're kind of like, okay, here's your black and white scene, here's your scene in colour, that, that when you get to the end, it'll link up with the previous scene that you saw in colour. And you get into this rhythm where the movie becomes very easy to like digest, even though it's technically doing something very complex because it's going backwards. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think so much of movie making is making things easy for the the audience to understand, comprehend, and follow. And that's actually more difficult than it sounds in a regular movie. That there's so many things. I remember doing short films or stuff when I was in university, and it was very easy to like not convey the information correctly enough. So even though it was clear to you because you'd written it or you directed it, what the through line of the thing was, you'd show it to someone and they wouldn't get a key detail because you just didn't make it clear enough. And all right. of a sudden, it's like, oh, this whole thing's about conveying information in the correct manner. So when you try and take that simple thing that is difficult even in a normal forward progressing story like mm-hmm. the idea of like trying to craft a story going backwards but always making it consumable for the audience as you're going enough that they're hooked and they care about what's happening and enough that they are invested in what's happening that is like a lot of skill there's a lot oh, of absolutely like, i can't imagine the amount of thought process that have to go into making sure this all worked i i entirely imagine that the Nolan brothers had a full-on murder board. Oh, yeah, yeah. With, like, all the threads crossing, and they're like, okay, how is this all going to link up? Because it's, it is just that complicated. It is that much of a movie. Though I did like um, the one thing you said there is it's all about how it conveys the information in a way that gets you to understand what's going on. But it's also great in the way that because of the fact that we aren't meant to understand everything until our main character of Leonard understands it by the time that we get to quote unquote, the end of the movie, there's a bunch of stuff that's still left up in the air that we didn't get full explanations on because Lenny doesn't have the full explanation of it. 
And I think that that's one of those things where Christopher Nolan is great at crafting a mystery. He's great at setting up this question of like, okay, here's what we're out to solve. Here's what we're looking to answer. And he knows that sometimes there's going to be facts that come up that are just tangentially related, that are just barely skimming the surface. And they might help, but they're not going to get full answers. They're not going to get the entire subplot devoted to answering them. You don't walk out of this movie thinking, okay, I get all of it. Even if you were watching it in order, you still are left with questions that are not answered. Yeah, and that just makes the world feel more full because we're mm-hmm. just we're focusing on the things that we're actually dealing with rather than everything. Um, and as far as watching it in chronological order goes, like obviously there's DVDs and Blu-rays that have like an extra where you can watch it in chronological order, but that fundamentally breaks the entire flow of the movie and like how yeah. it's meant to be. Like it's, I can't. I've never done it, but I imagine it's not that interesting watching it in that order because narrative structure is an important decision that's made by any storyteller. I can only think that it's interesting to watch the same way that like watching a behind the scenes of a movie is after you've mm. already watched the movie where it just gives that extra insight to be like, oh, okay, that explains that. But, then, but it doesn't work as a movie. No, not yeah. as an initial watch. Absolutely. So, yeah, like, and I, I think obviously you've got the strong cast. You've got all these things that are played. I, I like the music in the film as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the score. It's very, very subdued. Like, there's yeah. no point in this movie where it really is a centerpiece or taking the center stage of the scene. But it's always there, just playing. I think it's mostly strings. And yeah, like, it's, it's, I think it's like synth like strings that. that are just slowly coming in. And there's like emotional beats occasionally. Like the opening of the film is the is the title's play is the it's the development of a, a Polaroid photograph, but it's in reverse. So it starts off, you can see the photograph, and then it slowly, you know, brightens to be the white, undeveloped I wonder, one. I wonder how many people walking into the theater, they were told by their friends, like, you've got to watch this movie. It's like all told in reverse, and it's so good. And then they watch that first scene, and they're like, oh, it's literally in reverse? <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Well, I think that's smart, though, because I think that's like thematically just saying, hey, this is what the movie's essentially doing, even though it's not mm. literally going to be playing backwards, you know, right. each scene. Uh, but it, it sets you up like, okay, this is the this is the start, but it's also the end. And the end of the movie is actually the start of the movie, in, in a lot of ways. <laughs> so... Yeah, and like yeah, Nolan's things is so much been about playing with structure. I mean, following played with structure and how it had the two different like timelines playing out. Both of them going forwards, admittedly, which is more yeah. traditional, but still playing with it. And then, you know, like obviously, Tenet, Tenet is like also kind of going backwards and forwards at the same time, and that's got this whole say, thing. Ten- Tenet is if the plot of memento actually all happened in real time which is <laughs> the most confusing thing to say yeah and it's definitely a more confusing movie as a result but mm-hmm. even some of his other films like even batman begins does have some flashbacks which is obviously the most like normal way to play yeah. with timeline but like it's still there's even a little bit of that there because he likes to do it um mm-hmm. and then interstellar also plays with it in interesting ways which i won't even say because it's just spoiler territory but oh yeah uh, look, it's, it is an th- idea, and I think it's that. Hold on, I, if we want to explain Interstellar, let me get a pencil and a piece of paper. <laughs> Just poke the hole uh, But, you know, it, it is this constant thing that he loves playing with. It's something that he's clearly fascinated, fascinated by and wants to manipulate. And I think Memento is the easy one to point to and say that's where it's at its peak. 
but it's something mm. that he's been doing throughout his entire filmography and is yeah. always keeps coming back like i i don't know if uh you know oppenheimer is going to have any sort of timeline shenanigans but it might it i mean i expect it would have some level of structure like and, and admittedly i haven't seen dunkirk at all but isn't that also not so much in jumping around the timeline but just in in how it's shot is also different in the way that most movies are presented yeah it's kind of like all the different things are converging it's, it's got like mm-hmm. a thing to it but i yeah yeah I, i'm it's just interesting i'm curious to see what he does with this uh with this new movie uh mm-hmm. i mean i knew nolan films always uh always an event if you care it's about a movies. spectacle it is it's always exciting yeah so anywho um yeah i mean as far as anything else we can talk about without getting into spoilers because that is so of course like right so the only thing that i did want to bring up is this is the first time that he is working with his cinematographer wally fister mm. and of course he will those two work together for basically all the biggest films of Nolan's career for this going on. It's basically up until I think up until Dark Knight Rises, maybe something like that. Yeah, it's all... I have him Dark Knight, Inception, and Dark Knight Rises, and then he's out. Yeah, uh, he actually tried to go and make his own movie uh, around then, and it didn't go very well. I remember that. Mm. What one was that? That, that was, was Transcendence. Transcendence. Yeah. Yeah oopsie yeah so i mean i hopefully he gets another shot because obviously he's, he's obviously very talented in in many ways but uh, mm-hmm. uh christopher nolan he is not apparently so yeah um yeah i mean I he, was... can, he can aim the camera very well he looks it, I, I don't think there's any shot in this movie that stood out to me as poorly done it always managed to at least be the most basic shot needed well, I mean, cinematography, I'd say, is more about lighting than anything else. It's more True. about creating the uh, what you're seeing on in, in the camera as well as just the framing and movement of it. Um, mm. And I think, by and large, it does look very good. All of his movies that he's done with Nolan have all looked very good. Oh, yeah. So, For sure. Um, no, the, the, the thing I would add on to all this is that I, I do think there's an emotional core to Memento. Uh, mm. There's like a sort of sadness to it. Uh, you know, it's about this man who basically lost his wife uh, in a very tragic way and can't move on from it because he can't keep making new memories so he just keeps resetting to that fresh pain effectively over and over again so i think if nothing else like before you get into the more complex things that the movie might be doing and saying i think one of the things you could maybe look at it and say is that this idea and obviously revenge is a theme of the film anyway but this idea that if you can't let something go, like how destructive that is to you, and this is literally a character who physically can't let it go because he can't right. move through time and and like let things settle and come to peace with anything. So I, you know, it, it's it's doing a lot of really smart things with with its concept. Like as much as it may have started with oh, what if a story went backwards? Like everything in it uses that to its fullest potential of like what right. does this say about a character? What can we do with their themes because of this? Gimmick. And that's that's what takes it out of the realm of gimmick movie in that, yes, it is a movie that when you're pitching it to someone, you say it's the movie that goes backwards. But it takes that and says what needs to like what can take advantage of that format? What is the plot? Who are the characters? Like everything about it takes advantage of the format and makes it so that it is necessary 
for this story to be presented in that way. Almost to the point where I'm not even... Like, I've never actually heard them talk about the original short story or, like, how the idea mm. came to Jonathan Nolan. But I do wonder what came first, because it wouldn't surprise me if the character came first and then the concept of how to tell the story came second. Right. So I do have a little thing here in that Jonathan Nolan uh, was taking a psychology class or psychiatry class, and he learned about interrogate amnesia and all that, and he came up with this idea for a story... And he pitched it to Christopher, not in like the actual short story itself, but just this idea uh, on a cross-country trip from Chicago to California. And Noel, Christopher loved it. He, he was super big on it. And so they basically kind of worked in tandem where Jonathan wrote the first draft of the short story, sent it off to Christopher, and Christopher then started adapting it into a screenplay. But then the short story kept developing through other drafts and the screenplay kept adapting through other drafts. And by the end, they actually had pretty much entirely separate plots. It was just the idea of this guy who has interrogate amnesia and is looking for revenge. That's about the only thing they have in common. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. So it's almost like how two different people took the same concept and, and spun mm -hmm. it differently. Uh, it's, it's funny because Jonathan Nolan has also went on to kind of explore like structure in a way like Westworld season one which he co-showrun oh, yeah. is very very experimental with how it tells story and structure so mm. you know and it's, it's the most memorable thing about that season it's why everyone likes that first season of Westworld yeah. so exactly uh, yeah like so you've got some really interesting concepts at play here you've got the emotional core You've got the the very steady, confident direction. And this is only Christopher Nolan's second feature-length film, but it is so... Con and it has to be confident, because this th it would be so easy for this to be a mess. It would mm -hmm. it, it, like, it could easily devolve into mess in any other hands. It has to have someone who's constantly keeping in mind what the goal of the movie is, and like we say, how to convey the audience, uh, the information to the audience, so that each scene, as it's going backwards, flows and has some through line that makes it compelling because it's not doing traditional things like it probably does in some level break into a three-act structure but it isn't it's not a typical three-act structure by any right. conventional means yeah and i mean that's the other thing is that this movie the i don't want to say the denouement because there's not really a denouement in this movie but like the scene that kind of wraps it up and gives you that emotional core of the movie by chronological standards, happens in the middle. It is in the middle of this movie. So when you're writing it, you have to put that into this centerpiece. Like the the actual like second act of your movie, if you're thinking of in terms of chronological. And so I I can only imagine as a writing standpoint how difficult that must be, where you have to put all of your emotional reveals and everything tying together in the middle of the second act. And it's only, like, the third act is still the interesting stuff. It's still the core of the movie, but it's like, how do you structure that? I can't even begin to imagine that, because no writing book is ever going to tell you yeah, I mean, the big reveal in the I, second I, act. I think that's the, the was, part of what's so impressive about it, but probably why it's so appealing from a creative standpoint is that it's such a Wild West. It's such a mm -hmm. getting to just be playful and try and see what works, and ultimately it does work. Um, I, the only thing I would I'd maybe even like to, uh, dispute you on there is you said halfway. I'd say it's more like a third, just because like 
the, the yeah. black and white part which is the going forward is I, there's less of that than the color stuff so i, I would oh, say yeah. that it's more like a third rather than halfway through but yeah the point you're making so i mean then then that's even bigger then they're saying put all of your emotional stuff at the end of the first act yeah yeah like nobody ever does that yeah but i mean that said though other stories do have like unconventional structures and Mm -hmm. so so the idea of like revealing something out of order so that the emotional beat of revealing it comes at a more prominent part of the story in terms of where it is in the movie as you watch it versus where it took place chronologically that's not necessarily that new an idea but obviously this is like the this is it turned up to 11 where everything is out of order and it's all like there is like you say like you imagine the board with the red string because it's Mm -hmm. a puzzle that is being like put and probably created to some extent in order and then broken up and like how do we do this but there's there's so many smart little things that give you like the knock-on so that the audience has fallen onto the next scene there's so many little right. things where he'll look at a tattoo and it'll become the motivation a scene to tell someone a story which will then knock onto the story itself for the audience and right. there's so much of that where it's very smart and how it sets the audience up for the next little bit and it's there's all a- yeah, yeah. there's a scene very much at the beginning of the movie where obviously it's the end of the timeline, more or less, but where he stops and he like starts to look at his tattoos. He like peels back his sleeve and starts to look at them. And in the progress of the story itself, there's no reason to do that. There's like it doesn't further anything. It doesn't make anything happen from Lenny's standpoint that he's just noticing his tattoos here. But from an audience standpoint, this is the first time that we're really seeing the tattoos. And then when we go to the next black and white segment, he elaborates on them. He says, like, here's how my system works with tattoos. And so it's that setup and payoff from a nonlinear perspective here that works solely for the audience. Yeah, but it it doesn't it's not untrue for the character either, though, because of his Mm -hmm. condition. He would look at these things all the time in this way. And so well i get the 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 sort of the the distinction you're making by saying chronologically it doesn't really offer much importance here that doesn't matter because we're not watching chronologically we're never going to be unless you watch the weird cut up version (laughs) that they made for the dvd but like this is how it's presented so this is how so you've got this thing where the story has to make sense in chronological order when you actually think about it but and how it's presented to the audience, all these scenes have to slowly introduce the ideas and how it works mm-hmm. and pay it off in certain ways. And I think that it's it's immaculate how well it does that. Right. And that's one thing that I do really appreciate about this movie is that they keep on setting up this thing of trust and how do you verify this information you're given. But if you really boil it down and look at like each of the characters that Lenny comes across, everyone lies to him in some capacity everyone is giving him some level of false information and throughout the movie you're told you're shown where these people have lied so by the time that you reach the end of the story you're still not entirely sure who is and is not to be trusted yeah and more more to the point because of the way we're following the story with the the backwards mechanic is Mm. the movie's very much here's the facts like we have all these facts at the end and then as we go back, it's like, okay, where did this one come from? Oh, and then we see, like, why maybe we should question it. And then, you know, we keep going further back. And that's kind of mm-hmm. how it unfolds. So, yeah. No, it, our Memento is excellent. It is inventive. It's very unique. And 
I don't even think, like, I'm sure there's been attempted copycats, but I don't think anything I can even think of. Like, is there any notable, like, just kind of okay movies that tried to do it again? I don't think there is. I that. mean, the only thing that I could, like, not in the same style, but as you said, things like Westworld, things where it's able to take a much longer period of time and tell, basically it's more of trying to fool the audience into multiple timelines all being one timeline. Like that's that's been done several times. I could think of a couple. But, yeah, of but I, I, I wouldn't say that's end to do. With that's this, not what though. this is, though. Yeah, 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 yeah I, this this upfront tells the audience this is forward and this is backwards, and you have to work with it like that. And but, yeah, I can't think of anything. There, that there's does no that. trickery with this movie as far as how the structure works. Like the mm-hmm. it reveals things and it recontextualizes what you think about certain people, about certain events, and things like that. But it mm-hmm. never betrays your trust in the structure. The structure no. it remains true from the start to the end of and what it is, um, and I, I think that's partly why, as a as an audience, you never feel like you're being cheated because it mm. it it you know that one thing remains true throughout because that's like the bond that he has with the audience in the film. Yeah, like if if at some point they were to say, okay, well, actually, the black and white segments happen after all the color segments, or like they happen in between these two random scenes. I feel like then the audience could be said like, okay, but that doesn't make sense. I feel cheated in that way. But they set it up very early on because the black and white segments, a large thing that is over the course of them is he is self-applying one of his fact tattoos. He's getting that tattoo done. And we see that tattoo very early on in the reverse segment. So we know that this must happen before then. It establishes through the the evidence itself which one has to happen first and not that there's anything wrong with uh having timeline twists and things like that like if, mm-hmm. if, if, if you write it to be that and you make it work then great it can work it can be great uh but that's not what this movie is which is why i don't think it even bears yeah. like obviously it's worth mentioning because it's playing with timelines and narrative structure mm-hmm. and nolan himself has been on to play with narrative structure but I, I, yeah, I don't think anything's tried to just be Memento again. And it's almost surprising that in what's now 23 years since it came out, <laughs> that there's not some copycat. And maybe there's some like shitty, no-budget thing that I've never heard of that did. There probably I is, w- but... I would love to see Asylum try to tackle <laughs> this. It'll be called Lamento. <laughs> it's going to be called Mori, because the phrase is Memento Mori. Uh... Memento more of the story. Memento 2 more. <laughs> It'll be called Memory Mori. You have to dumb it there down. There you go. Memento yeah, Mori's too, too highbrow for, for Asylum. Yeah. It'll be Memory more of them. <laughs> I mean, there was a nickname that at the very end of the movie uh, Leonard's character got, and I think that'd be a just Memory Man. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's what they call it, yeah, Memory Man. Yeah, memory sounds like, Man. Sounds like some sort of weird superhero who can remember everything. Yeah, that was it's the just opposite. magnetic memory, that's all it is. He can't remember shit, that's, uh, that's nope. what it is. Uh, Alright, so I think we'll give the spoiler warning so we can just start talking about the movie in depth, and, and you know, mm. I, I don't necessarily think we will go either in movie order or chronological order, I feel like we're going to just jump around as we talk about the ideas and themes and bring up the scenes that we think are relevant. But spoilers, regardless, for Memento from this point forth. Here's how it's going to go. You're going to tell it as it happened in the movie. I'll tell it chronologically, (laughs) and we'll meet up in the middle. 
That sounds absurdly confusing. I think that's it a is. terrible idea. Um, no, I, I feel I feel like starting with the the ending bizarrely, and not just because it's the start of the the story, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, although, as we've established, the black and white stuff is earlier, so it's really like a third through the story. But yeah, I think just starting with the point the movie gets to. Okay. So we can then apply it to all the other scenes and their thinking uh, is probably a good idea. And that is ultimately the reveal. You know, a, a lot of this film's about trusting the information, where did it come from, um, mm-hmm. and self-control is the other one, of course. Because obviously, if yeah. you had this condition, you would feel like you didn't have control. So the tattoos, the writing things down, the facts are the, a way for Leonard to have some semblance of control and like knowledge of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And ultimately what it builds up to is that his entire motivation, right? So the entire thing that the movie's built on is that someone named John G or possibly Jim G. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, just just as we're quickly saying that. Is Jim able to turn into John? Is that a thing? I, th- I don't feel like that's a thing. Um. Well, I don't think it's saying that they can mean the same thing because the tattoo literally says John or Jimmy. So to, to me, what it's saying is, is that it's because i know jim can be james right you hear that a right. lot right uh-huh. uh so jimmy and james are interchangeable um mm-hmm. and i bet i think it's because the tattoo says john or or possibly uh, jimmy it's basically mm-hmm. saying it's one of those two names it's not that those two names are the same thing. okay i guess it's that the story so specifically focuses on john the whole time that when we get to this ending bit and he is going after a man named jimmy i'm like that's just wrong well you you've well, no, you if got you look, the wrong man. But if you look at the tattoo, though, it was originally right. just John G, and then it was added on in a, a second tattoo, because you can tell because it looks different, mm-hmm. or Jimmy. Clearly, because there's more things being added to his, like, false information, right. like, he's, this has been an amendum at some point, is that he's added mm-hmm. on the Jimmy part. Um, but goddamn, let me explain the basic concept. Sorry, sorry. We'll get to the details later. It got it bothered me. It was the only thing in this movie that bothered me. So, right. So the whole thing is that someone named John G raped and murdered his wife, and then the injury he got trying to intervene is what gave him the the brain injury and gave him this the short term memory loss. Mm-hmm. Right. And the whole film is that he's trying to find who this is. He's trying to find the guy so he can kill him, and he's looking for John G. That's his goal. That's his motivation the entire time. And over the course of the film, we see how sad he is about the loss of his wife. We see the guilt and the fact that he can't move on from it, all this stuff. But mm-hmm. the big thing at the end of the film is that it suggests that everything he's been building on is a lie. And a lie that he himself probably gave himself. And obviously, in the course of the film, we see that the main bit of evidence that is leading him to the end of the story was a lie that he himself made up. Knowingly, he knowingly gave himself a lie. Mm-hmm. He not knowingly gave himself a piece of evidence that would lead to someone, uh, you know, Teddy, Joey Pantsy's character, yes. that it would lead to him and kill him. And it's all about this idea of, like, deluding yourself and giving yourself some sort of sense of purpose. Because uh, the big thing in the film is that, uh, you know, when we get to the scene towards the end where Teddy explains to him that you already killed the guy, like, a year yeah. ago. We found him. You know, we find out at the end of the film that Teddy's a cop and that he was the cop that was assigned to his wife's case and he mm-hmm. believed leonard that there was another man like the, the, the police in general didn't want to look into it 
Um, and again, we have to kind of also have a little asterisk in all this, that all right. of this could be false as well. We don't really know how true any of this is. Every, every but, Like, I wrote down the entire story here in my notes, but then every line is predicated with Teddy says. Yes. Because, like, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. I mean, I think on some level, like, it sounds like he has no reason to lie in this scene, so he's probably... This mm-hmm. is probably accurate, but yeah, it's not a guarantee. So you have to like have that little shred of doubt. But yeah. but it's this idea that he helped him track down the guy, but he couldn't like he can't make new memories, so he couldn't remember that he got revenge. And already in the film at this point, someone's raised this question to him, like, but if you get revenge, you won't remember it. And mm-hmm. Leonard has a response for that. He's like, Well, no, but the world keeps going, so it doesn't matter if I don't remember it. The the, the point is that my wife got justice. But right. that turns out to be a complete lie because once we get to this point and he's killed this other guy, uh, we'll get into all that, but mm-hmm. he finds out, you know, no, you killed this guy a year ago and here's a photograph of you smiling, pointing to the, the part of your your, the, your heart where you were going to put the tattoo saying, I did it, right? I've, mm-hmm. I've done it. I've mission accomplished. And he's basically told that everything... And effectively, Teddy, this this corrupt cop is using him to hunt down anyone with a name that's similar to a John G for, you know, in this case, he got him to kill a drug dealer uh, for 200 right. grand. And it's like, mm-hmm. hey, I can use you for this and you'll care, you'll be passionate and you'll you'll have a real motive to go kill this guy. And then yeah. I get 200 grand. Win-win. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's happy. So he's just used for this. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's like, oh, you can feel the satisfaction of killing him again. Um, and the movie, the, the emotional linchpin that the movie ends on is this decision that Leonard makes to mm-hmm. effectively point his crosshairs at Teddy and say, yep. you know what? You'll be my next victim, and I won't think I'm doing anything wrong. I'll believe you're the guy. And he writes down his license plate and says, this is the license plate of the guy who killed my wife. And mm-hmm. that's it. That sets him on the path that the entire well, backwards part of the movie's uh, all focused on. That, and on the back of his Polaroid, he writes the phrase, don't believe his lies. Yes. Which is just vague enough that he's able to write off everything that he ever says in this movie. Yep, yep. Uh, and there's so many like hints, of course, building up to this. Like everyone keeps commenting on his car and his clothes, which mm-hmm. turns out by the time we get to the end, these are the clothes in the car of this drug dealer that he's here to kill. Um, and you know, Natalie, uh, Carrie Ann Moss's uh, character, is also his girlfriend, so she's right. referencing this throughout the movie as well. Which I do want to point out, that's the one thing that's the mystery that's never solved, is Jimmy, the drug dealer, he knows Leonard. They have met. They have a history. But we never get that, because that's not the point of this movie. And I'm so curious what that history was, how they knew each other. That's... uh, It's it's the one thing that I just wish there was a little bit more on, but obviously it wasn't the focus he met him at least once i don't think they knew each other that well because natalie had never met him that's very clear that when he meets natalie for the first time uh she like is like oh you're the memory so she's heard about him obviously jimmy's talked about the memory man Mm -hmm. but she never like has met him before and even tests his memory thing uh by spitting in the drink and that's a point somewhere like mid in the movie where i think teddy makes the point of like you're going like someone as weird as you you're going to get around town and people are going to hear about this guy who can basically be taken advantage of you shouldn't stick around for that long and yet it seems like he by the time that jimmy knows him he has stuck around a bit too long so the other big part we have to get into this though Mm -hmm. is sammy jenkins remember sammy jenkins i don't remember sammy jenkins i don't remember sammy jenkins 
Tell me about Sam Jenkins. So throughout all the black and white portion of the film, he's talking to someone on the phone who it's pretty clear by the end that this is probably Teddy that he's talking to, but mm-hmm. he's talking to Teddy on the phone and he's explaining Sammy Jenkins. And it turns out that Leonard, before his incident, he was a, an insurance investigator, right? He investigated claims and Sammy Jenkins was this guy who was a really smart guy. He seemed like to be a doctor of some kind. You know, he gave his wife insulin shots and uh, they say that, yeah, he remembers everything he knew beforehand. So he like he could do really complex, like highly trained things, but only mm-hmm. the stuff that he learned before his, his memory uh, injury. But, yeah. he, you know, that's how he's like, hey, I've got the same condition that Sammy had. So he explains Sammy and he investigated Sammy's claim. And this is how, you know, he's got the tattoo on his hand that says, remember Sammy Jenkins. And it's the idea that by remembering him, he understands every time he like wakes up, oh, this is what I've got. I've got the same thing Sammy did. But we get this idea that he investigated Sammy and that, okay, he can't make new memories, but there's this theory that the part of the brain that uh, deals with like muscle memory and instinct, like mm-hmm. that's separate from actually making memories. So that if you do something with repetition over and over again, that you should sort of build in like a memory anyway. And that's something that Sammy never did. They did this test where they had him pick up these shapes and some of them were electrocuted right. and he never was able to, with instinct, predict what they are. And not even not even instinct, like conditioning. Like yeah. just doing this, that same thing over and over again to get it into habit rather than memory. And Leonard's thing here is that he's not necessarily saying that he's faking anything, but just that his condition is not physical, that this is some sort of mental condition and therefore the insurance doesn't have to pay out. But, Which, can I just point out, good on Christopher Nolan of having your main character be an insurance guy who denies claims and yet still making me somehow care about him? <laughs> well, a big part of the film is, is the guilt, because obviously with his own condition, he realizes that like there's more mm-hmm. truth to the Sammy stuff, um, depending on how real Sammy is, which is you know something we'll, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll get to in a second here. <laughs> but So you know, it gives you this sad story of, of the Sammy's wife who becomes disillusioned after this thinking that, oh, if it's just mental, though, then, like, can I make him snap out of it? You know, she starts mm-hmm. to feel hurt that he can't remember anything she says or or, or anything like that. So yeah. we hear that she tests him with, like, not feeding him, but, like, she, she makes him hide food around the house and then right. forget it and then doesn't feed him. So the, the idea being that when he gets hungry, he'll instinctually go to where he's hidden food. It's like try to force the memory on him, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't work. And then the sad ending to all this is that she actually makes him give her her insulin shots and does it repeatedly. The idea being that this will kill her if mm-hmm. he doesn't remember that he's already done it. But and sadly, you know, it does. It, it you know, she goes into a coma and never recovers. And yep. so it's this sad story. It's this, and there is all you know. I think the first time I watched this, there was a part of me that thought, "Damn, it's really not not so much that it's like far fetched that I'm struggling like as an audience member to believe it." But it is very coincidental that Leonard met someone with yeah. this condition, which is why when it starts to come up at the end, that maybe this isn't entirely true, and mm-hmm. that you know, in some level, Leonard is Sammy Jenkins. Uh, you know, it's certainly a, a large parts of the story are Leonard's story. When you know, as we get to the end, and there's yep. little there's little hints throughout the film. There's little flashes of the of the syringe. You know, mm-hmm. when, when he's thinking about stuff. Like the syringe is when he's recounting Sammy Jenkins, all of it's in black and white. But yeah. then every once in a while, you'll get a flash of something that should be part of Sammy's story, but it's in color. Yeah. And you're like, okay, why Why is that there? Um, and when he thinks about his wife and little mm-hmm. snippets of her, they're all in color. So that, right. you know, it gives you 
those those connections that you can kind of latch on to but yeah so the whole thing is is that at the end of the movie when teddy's explaining like oh you don't want to remember all the truth so you've omitted some of it just like he's omitted some of the police report that he has he's taken stuff Mm -hmm. out to give himself a puzzle to give himself purpose he's also omitted the memories where yeah this whole thing with the insulin is actually what he seemed to have done to his wife that his wife never died assuming there was an attack and there there really was this incident where some people came into the house and it sounds like there was um Mm -hmm. she did survive she did not die in that attack and this is the story of like the wife breaking down and then effectively making the memory you know conditioned husband to kill her um as a test effectively or a way to try and break it out of him mm-hmm. it seems to be what's happened to them like he's you know we, we get a shot of him uh, pinching her at one point and then later on we see the real version which is him actually jabbing her with the syringe uh, right, to give her a shot giving her a shot and so much and this really opens up like what the movie's talking about about like lying to yourself and lying mm-hmm. to and and then that then progresses into actually planting his own seed to go after his next target because he wants to have this sense of because he's so upset and angry that what he's learned he doesn't want to believe it that he gives yeah. himself his next target yeah i i there is a conversation pretty early on in the movie that Lenny has with Teddy of the idea of human memory and just how hazy it is how much it can easily be altered how much it can easily be changed and at that point it's being used from the viewpoint of oh hey well you know you, you, people might misremember stuff and you might be given false leads or whatever and he's like no i go off of facts i go off of things that i know are true and he keeps on bringing up that thing of there are things that you can be certain of and by the time you get to the end of this plot, you realize that there never really was a John G. Because the way that the story plays out is that the they say there was an assault, but the wife survived it, meaning that there was no second person who got away was the one who actually like killed her or anything like that. Yeah. And then he ended up going through Sammy Jenkins's like storyline, more or less. And so when it came out the other side of it, Teddy really is just someone who is manipulating him from the beginning. He used this idea that there was a second person to basically do his dirty work more or less. Yeah, exploit him. I mean, I think there's an argument to say that there was a John G and there was a real one that he killed at some point. Um, Hmm. And then, but after that is where Teddy started using him. Well, there's a there's a scene where he's discussing the evidence with Natalie, with Carrie Ann Moss's character, mm. and she points out, like, okay, so then what happened to this piece of evidence? And he, like, scrambles to cover how, oh, John G. was clever. He switched the guns yeah, and then yeah. also switched the cars and all that. And it's like, or there was never a John G. Or there, like, that was the first hint where it's like, maybe this isn't as definite of a fact. Even I, I, fact number one on his wrist may be false no you're right i think i think there's there's two ways of thinking about this and i like both Mm -hmm. of them for different reasons i like the idea that there is a john g because i like the idea that there was someone who he actually did want revenge on that he did kill and then it Mm -hmm. didn't matter because he couldn't remember i like that that like dramatic touch of like he got his revenge he killed the real person that deserved it but it didn't matter and he couldn't he couldn't remember which you know brings into like is vengeance worth anything in the first place you know like that right? makes it just that little bit of extra tragedy to it yeah. where it's like you did it but you'll never know 
but then on the alternate side, the idea that there was no John G and that it's after it's the guilt of killing his wife and basically like so when he's talking about Sammy and he says, Oh, Sammy went into a home and doesn't even know his wife died, because why mm-hmm. would he remember it? This idea that he is just over and over like tattooed, oh, someone murdered your wife, John G, you know, murdered your wife, and he's conditioned himself almost to like tell himself a story where he's not the villain. He gets to be the hero who's gone after mm-hmm. the bad guy who killed his wife. The idea that there was no John G, yeah, there was an attack that left him injured, right? There was at least one person who did get killed in the yeah. the scuffle itself. But the idea that he's created a boogeyman that he can go after, that he can blame for everything that's wrong with his life, including his condition, including what happened to his wife. The fact, the idea that it's all about the guilt of what he did to, even though, like, it's it's guilt, and I understand why he feels guilty, but his condition is not his fault, ultimately. That, that's why you don't hate him as an audience, I think. You understand, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how it's went down. Um, oh, yeah. And it's, 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 it's extra tragic that she kind of did this and couldn't live with, like, how he was anymore. And, you know, uh, so... There's a lot of, in fact, even there's a lot of stuff in the movie where people make a little joke because of his condition where they'll either say the same joke or they'll mm-hmm. smile and say, you've said that already. And that comes up a lot. And I don't necessarily think the movie's focusing on this idea that he's got a complex about his condition, but I do think it's interesting that even the condition itself is something he feels guilty about. And maybe one of my favorite little moments is that when he's still talking about Sammy, uh, it's towards the end of the Sammy story where he says, mm. oh, people thought he was like faking it because there'd be these little moments of recognition when he saw you. Yeah. And he says, but now I understand that he, he was faking that. Like the, 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 the recognition itself was the fake because you felt, mm. the, the, the phrasing he uses is that you to feel less of a freak, you would give mm. people the little recognition they expect to see in your face because it would make them feel uncomfortable if you didn't. Well, it's that, it's that same sort of thing that I think anybody can relate to, is if some random guy comes up, shakes your hand, and says your name, yeah, just from a psychology perspective, you expect that, like, oh, I know him already. He's he's someone I should be aware of. So you'll put on that, like, hey, how's it going, you? Sort of thing. Yeah. And I think that's just that same sort of thing put in here. Even though he does have memory loss, like, he's putting on that same thing of he shakes the hand, he says, hey, yeah, I... Have I talked to you already? Is everything, like, are we good? Um, the one thing, though, that it really got me with the Sammy Jenkins story is that Sammy, he explicitly says, doesn't respond to conditioning. Whereas Lenny points out, I do. Like, I am able to respond to conditioning. And when we get to the end, when Teddy's revealing all this stuff to him, we get the fact that he tells this Sammy Jenkins story and he tells the story of his wife being killed to everyone as a form of conditioning, as a form of making that memory true to him. So in the end, the only thing that's really going to stop him is if he kills enough John G's to condition himself into making a memory out of it, more or less. Yeah, I think a big part of the movie is about self-control and how this character must feel such a lack of it because he mm-hmm. couldn't, you know, has the whole death of his wife, this idea of, like, giving her shots and her testing him by making him do it multiple times and that leading to her death. Like, that would obviously feel like you had no control over that, right? Like, and, it, and that would lead to guilt. 
but he has no control over anything else in his life either. So, so much of this is about him feeling control. He tries to do it with these facts, with these things, these tattoos. Mm-hmm. But then, even just the idea of giving himself a purpose, on some level, like, it feels like he's justifying it to himself when he does it, because at least I'm making the choice to do this. Unlike everything else right. in my life where I have no choice over, I'm making the choice to go after the wrong person. And I won't know that going forward. And it's okay, because I lied to myself. So this mm-hmm. idea of like you can't trust anyone but that also could include yourself and yeah like if you did suffer some form of memory loss could you if you could set yourself up to say oh i murdered someone and that gave me a bunch of money but i'm going to erase my memory and like give myself like a like a story where i found the money or i won the money or Mm -hmm. something like you probably might do it and this is obviously that's a really frivolous example but like right I I think that concept is really interesting of just this way of trying to give himself some form of structure. Because he talks about that a lot at the start, about how having a routine and having things that he does every day, always checking the tattoos, always checking the the pieces of information, like all of that stuff. But yeah, all of it can be like falsified. All of it can be fake. Yeah. I mean, that's, I would say to put it to like a more personal example, if if you had like a computer or something like that, a computer program that you trusted implicitly, like that you, no matter what it said, you trusted that you were the one who entered in that data, that information, whatever like that. And then one day it came up with something that you didn't remember putting in. Would you still trust it? Would you like still follow whatever Mm -hmm. it is? It said, even if you don't remember doing it, if you've trusted it for everything else. And that's kind of what this all comes down to is that he knows he can't trust other people, but he trusts the quote unquote facts. He trusts the things that he's told himself. And so while he's giving himself these runarounds just to give himself that purpose, he's, he, he has to trust himself. Otherwise there's absolutely no one left that he could put that trust in. And you know, this is where I actually want to kind of like compare it to following a little bit thematically Mm -hmm. is that, effectively following and you know spoilers for following if you didn't like watch the last review <laughs> how dare you not watch the last review <laughs> but you know uh, following you know reveals that the main character is being played by this other person that he was trusting throughout the film i mm-hmm. think it's very interesting that this kind of has a similar reveal it's just that it's himself that yeah. <laughs> was misleading him the entire time and setting up the ruse for this like chase that he was going on um that also had the character going on a chase of sorts uh, mm-hmm. for, for a person, for a piece of information. And it was all a ruse building to something. Um, I, I think that's quite fascinating. Uh, and mm-hmm. this idea of lying to yourself to give yourself a sense of purpose is very interesting. And, and again, very yeah. tragic and sad, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's one thing that the movie does great is that, as we said, over the course of the movie, it shows... Each character, everyone he comes across lies to him to some extent, whether it's for his good or to use him. Every character is lying to him. But the one thing that the movie says from the beginning is you have to trust yourself. You have to trust that Lenny, our main character, is a reliable narrator, that he is giving you the facts. But it doesn't so, it doesn't feel though like a cheat when it turns out it's not, because the right. whole point is is that he's finding out he's lied to himself. It, yeah, it's one exactly. thing if he just lies to us, but the fact that he's also lying to himself means that much like the structure of the movie, putting us in his shoes with not remembering things, 
we're actually with him and that when he finds out he's lied or that there's lies to be found it mm-hmm. was to himself so we feel just like him we're like, oh shit yeah. this information's also revealed to us well, it's like no my wife wasn't diabetic i'm not sammy jenkins yeah freaks out just have a, has a slight mental crisis at the moment the same way the audience is sitting there like no <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, like watching it. I mean, you've already seen it. Yeah, there is all these little, uh, all these little hints. There's these little moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like I say, like every time John G, uh, sorry Teddy, I should say, every time Teddy sees the car, he's like, "Really, you're driving around in this car? We should get you a different car." Oh, you got those clothes on? We should probably get you different clothes. Like, there's all these hints of like what came before. That's always yeah, kind of reiterated as, as we're going. Which I do, I do love the touch they had, which is at the very beginning, they show that Teddy's real name is a John G. Yeah. He's John Edward Gamble. And so having that said at the very beginning, this entire movie, you are primed of no, Teddy is not to be trusted. And that's why you believe that line on the back of the Polaroid of don't believe his lies. You're just implicitly you're like, yep, because we've seen evidence that he's John G. But uh, on, on a meta level, though, what the movie's actually saying is don't believe his lies, as yeah. in the main character. Uh, exactly. But yeah, it's it's kind of beautiful, because the movie, yeah, the movie starts with Teddy being killed. That's the, the start of the movie. He's like, you know, the shot mm-hmm. to the head. that his kills execution. Him. Yeah. Uh, and then we go back from there, and we're under the impression, and yeah, he's not very trustworthy. Like, the whole movie, it feels like he is lying for himself. He's He's being mm-hmm. kind of seedy. He's 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 pushing Leonard in certain directions. He's saying don't trust Natalie, which to be fair, yeah, he shouldn't trust Natalie as we see. Well, I mean, could would you mind if I just gave the chronological plot of what's going on in the characters around him real quick? Sure. <laughs> so the entire movie starts with Teddy calls out Jimmy, the one guy who is a drug dealer, out into this abandoned area and basically is using Lenny to kill him so that he can get away with 200 grand cash uh lenny takes the car before he can get the cash drives off put on jimmy's clothes as well and in the pocket he finds a coaster that says uh come to this bar after work and signed by natalie so he goes by natalie thinks it's jimmy pulling up in the car is surprised when he sees lenny they talk for a while and natalie basically knows that something happened to jimmy because he's wearing the clothes and driving his car, but he can't get a straight answer out of, or she can't get a straight answer out of but, but Lenny, no, obviously. But notably, she knows enough that this memory guy, quote-unquote, exists, mm-hmm. that she also understands that he doesn't even know, even though clearly he's suspicious and that he's wearing her boyfriend's clothes yep. and driving his car. So she invites him back to her place and basically says, you can crash here for a while, and then goes and talks to basically makes up a story and says i went to talk to uh dodd about well, uh, I, uh, this is skipping okay. a really important part of that because uh oh she, no no sorry i, I yeah. misphrased that she, she takes them to her place right and mm-hmm. she know if you're paying attention you'll notice that she removes all the pens she takes yep. all the pens with her and then at like basically agitates leonard by calling his wife a whore saying that he's, mm-hmm. he's an idiot. Uh, it's a brutal scene. Yeah, she, she goes all in and calling him a freak and all these other things and mm-hmm. basically provoking him until he hits her a couple of times. Yep. And sure enough, uh, it does. And But it's this really sinister thing where she's like, 
you're not going to remember. I can say anything I want. And she goes out to the car and she just waits for like five minutes as he's like frantically looking for a pen. And what's so effective about this is this is where the scene break is. So the scene we got first starts with him going, I need to find a pen, I need to find a pen. And then she comes Mm -hmm. in with the the bruises and the cuts on her face and she's like, oh, Dodd beat the shit out of me. Help me, Leonard. And then we get the real scene of what happened and it's, it's her being this vicious and yep. like you know, using his thing against them. Um, admittedly, in the context of what she knows, though, all she knows about Leonard, other than his condition, is that she showed up. He showed up wearing her boyfriend's clothes, driving his car, and her boyfriend seemingly has just went missing now. And yep. like, so on some level, I'm not saying I like think anything she does is justifiable. I'm just saying I get why she's not being that nice to him as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I. Every- Every character in this movie feels mean, feels like they are yes. bad people, but they feel a realistic level of bad people. They don't feel like comically evil. They feel like they're getting, it's all about revenge, really, for every single character. It's just about getting revenge on this slight. Well, except except Teddy. He's not about revenge. Yeah, except for Teddy. But Teddy's just, Teddy's just a con man in general. Yes. I don't know what his deal is. Um, but no, as you said in there, the um, the character of Dodd. So Dodd is someone who Jimmy owed some money to, and now that Jimmy disappeared, he's going after Natalie. So Natalie says, hey, Lenny, can you get rid of Dodd for me? And she fakes this whole story of how Dodd beat, beat her up so that Lenny is willing to go do so. And in the middle here, we get this little scene of Lenny um, hiring a hooker to basically reenact the night of his wife's disappearance or of her murder oh, yeah, i should yeah, say yeah. are you skipping and over stuff though when it goes to dot no no the later? dot stuff okay. the dot stuff technically what, what? I, you're a absolute mess like i am uh anyway. how many empty like cans of booze have you got it was two <laughs> cans of coke and they okay. just happened to hit a bunch of other glass stuff. you're drunk anyway Yes, absolutely. And that's what made this movie so much harder. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So then, I mean, ignoring that scene with the hooker. Um, well, no, no, he... I actually do want to talk about that. Cause you it's... do want to talk? All yeah, right. Yeah, that's fine. I, I, just, I just thought you were skipping over some of the other Dodd stuff. But I, no, no, no. Um, that stuff happens before slash after. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's just like the events of the movie. Like It, it all makes complete sense what you're watching. And that's a testament mm-hmm. to Nolan like, crafting all this to make it work. But now that scene with the prostitutes is actually really interesting because I, I think mm-hmm. some of the beats that happen after are really poignant. Um, yes. Where he hires this prostitute. So I'm just going chronological here, but he hires yeah, a prostitute yeah. and he has like a a bag of his wife's things that he still has. It's like a, an old beat, beat up book with the covers not even on it, a clock, a brush, uh, I think a bra, stuff like that. And he says, yeah, so all I want you to do is put these things around the room, fall asleep with me, and wake up and slam the bathroom door basically what he wants is he because you know he's not really made new memories since she died the last thing he remembers is her mm-hmm. dying but there's yeah. that idea that when he wakes up sometimes he thinks that oh she's just not there she's in the bathroom so what he wants is to wake up and think that he hears his wife and like be convinced that like she's alive for just a minute but what mm-hmm. i love about this and obviously, there's actually quite a lot of little bits of dark humor, or even not even dark humor, just humor. Like, you know, like later yeah. on where he wakes up, where he's like, I don't feel drunk. Uh, <laughs> you, know, like there's, you know, there's little moments where it, like there's little comedy payoffs to some of the things that happen. Right. But, you know, he goes out of the bathroom and this hooker's just sitting there all nonchalant. I think she's just like snorting cocaine or something like that. Oh, and yeah. um, 
what I love about this is that when she, she sort of asks a question like, oh, was I supposed to lock the door or something? And he has this moment where he realizes what's happened, that he's paid this woman to be this lie to him. You know, again, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a, actually an early hint that he lies to himself. This is an example of him lying yeah. to his future self. Um, but when he realizes this, it's notable that his reaction is, okay, get out. He's not happy with himself. He's not happy that he gave himself this lie. In mm-hmm. fact, this inspires him to take his, his wife's things and he goes out to a location and he burns them. And he points out that he's probably burned a lot of her stuff before because he never knows that he's done this already. And mm-hmm. my favorite line of the whole film is, I can't remember to forget you. It's, 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 it's an easy, poignant line yeah. of dialogue. But that's what he says in his narration. But mm. I love it because it's sad, it's poignant. This I, you know, that it feeds into this whole theme of if you can't remember and move on, you're stuck in this perpetual cycle of rage and anger and sadness. And people who do stick to like revenge and never let themselves move on, this is literally what they do to themselves. But this is a more mm-hmm. like they actual, stay in the moment. Yeah, but this is like sort of like someone being forced to stay in the moment. But then, like I said, it's this hint of what the movie really is. It's him lying to himself it's him giving himself the fantasy only in this example he realized that it was a lie and didn't like it yeah because from a from a chronological perspective it doesn't really make a lot of sense as to why he did this here like it doesn't flow from anything it's just he wants to do this he wants to feel that sense of normalcy just that hope that his wife's still alive for just a minute but when you view it from the storytelling perspective it is that that hint, that moment where it's like, okay, he is able to tell himself little uncomfortable truths. And the only reason I think as an audience we accept this one is that it's just so pitiful. It's so just you, your heartstrings are tugged by he just wants to feel normal for just that moment there rather than it being this bigger lie for the sake of revenge. Yeah, I don't think the audience should have a problem with it. I don't know why you phrase it that way. <laughs> Well, no, it's because, it, like, if we, like I said, going into this, we are told that he is the reliable narrator. We are to trust everything he says. Mm. And so if he's willing to lie to himself, that's oh, where the I audience is going to be questioned. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, I thought you meant, no, I just have a problem with the structure of this. No. But no, no, no. I um, have a real problem with prostitution, Pete. It's not okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't think the audience questions this too much, even though by the time you get to the end, it was a hint that he does this, that he lies to himself. Mm-hmm. And I think it works in the moment, like you say, because... like it's it's like him trying to relive a little moment of happiness with his wife to trick himself and it feels like something that you would do you know it's the sort of thing you do when you look at a photo of someone you've lost or you you Mm -hmm. try to remember the good times you try to it's basically just an extension of that but it's just extra sad because he can actually truly trick himself so for like for a moment for like that 30 seconds when he first wakes up and he hears some noises he actually genuinely believes his wife is alive and then it comes crashing back, and he has like little flashes of like the like the, the violent crime as he's walking towards the door, and it's almost like it, like the real memory starting to come in to be like, nah, yeah, it just you, all crashes in on him. Yeah, you can't really believe this. Like you want Although, to, but you can't. I will say that I think it tries it only for a second tries to fool the audience because the scene chronologically as it opens up is shot it's it opens up with the door slamming in the bedroom and you're like oh this is another flashback to his wife but it's only then that you realize wait a minute he has his tattoos Mm -hmm. like this can't be then this has to be now and then you're wondering what's going on and it's only again once we get the previous scene that it elaborates and says here's how this woman showed up which you know on that subject there's a the moment at the end right at the end as he's making his final bit of monologue and his narration before the, the film comes to a close 
mm-hmm. he's talking about how the world keeps moving and he has to believe that and he has to believe that his actions have consequences which they do to the world because he's killing people and stuff but obviously to him they don't because he doesn't remember them so there is no direct consequences yeah. in his mind but there's that moment where he thinks about his wife but he's already got his tattoos like he's holding his wife but mm-hmm. notably and i didn't notice this i think the first few times i watched this oh, but what okay. but he has an extra tattoo he has a tattoo on his heart that says that he's done it mm-hmm. so it's this idea that he's trying to condition himself like like to the idea like the ultimate goal in his mind the fantasy is that he's done this and he's back with his wife even though obviously he can't be because his wife's gone um and even the the idea that he can kill the guy may also just be a complete lie that he can't achieve or he has already achieved it and it doesn't matter but this image he has in his head because i think most people see this moment and i think it still means this it's an indication that like what teddy was saying is in part true that mm. he already had this condition when he was still with his wife um yeah and that, that there was some overlap there yeah and that definitely sort of leads to that but i think that little addition of he has the tattoo that says he pulled it off that he killed the guy that, that hurt her it's almost like this in some level as like i don't want to say afterlife like that he's hoping for but mm. like the idea that right now to him if he can think about this then it's the truth because in a minute he's going to forget it right and it literally mm-hmm. does the, the car comes to a screeching halt and he's like where was i like that literally is how the movie ends because even this like prominent like visual that he's thinking about this this dream this like goal or whatever you want to call it this is what he's I, thinking I would about call it i would call it the ideal yeah the ideal is that not only is his wife not dead because of what potentially was his own actions but that he also managed to get the revenge because right now in terms of as a character that's all that he is he is revenge and love for his wife so having both of those things being able to be fulfilled is the ideal yeah it's a beautiful little detail uh Mm -hmm. this in there but it's only like a two seconds at most but even yeah even the, the broad strokes of it which is the idea that he maybe had his some of his tattoos before the wife died mm. is really interesting but i think it definitely presents that this is not a flashback this is him like what he wants right now that, you know, yeah. and this is who he is right now with all these tattoos um mm. i think that's uh fascinating because they really set this up throughout the movie that he's, he's left that spot on his heart for when he mm. finally does it and he can he can write it yep. um, and it is worth noting that teddy had a polaroid of lenny smiling and pointing at that yeah. spot to indicate you did it like that you succeeded in your goal but and i think that's maybe another interesting to consider is like did he just not like write it down in time or either he did and chose later to erase it or did he choose before it went away that he wanted to not remember it that he wanted to set himself on the next like path so i do think that this is one thing i wanted to bring up in terms of the condition is that the movie plays it off in chunks like he Mm. he'll basically go for a certain period of time that's not set in stone but a certain period of time and then everything within that period of time will be lost and he'll just start fresh whereas i feel like the way that it wouldn't actually happen is kind of like a rolling erasure so anything past like 10 minutes ago would be erased but he'll still have this like immediate rolling memory of 10 minutes for that entire time what i think is 
the thing that they specifically say though is that when he goes to sleep that's a hard cut like if he falls asleep he loses everything from the prior day like no matter what which makes because there's sense yeah so i would guess just based off that polaroid and stuff like he killed the guy teddy was there took the picture and all that and then they're like tomorrow we'll go to the tattoo parlor and it'll say you did it but then he woke up the next day and they had no evidence that he did it there was nothing there at all except for teddy's word yeah i think it so. could be that although i i, I do kind of like the idea though that it's not so much that he didn't have the evidence because we see in the film that he erases things you know he shrivels things oh, out yeah. he changes things after he burns the fact the Polaroids. yeah he's yeah yeah so I, th- I think what maybe makes the most sense if i was trying to logic it out is that he did it and yeah he didn't get the tattoo yet obviously because he's not got the tattoo but mm-hmm. that he did reset and he basically he got to experience being told that he'd already done it but he didn't get to feel the satisfaction of it so it makes sense to me that he at least reset once after mm-hmm. he killed the you know, the original quote-unquote john g and yep. then because he didn't feel satisfied after he reset because he couldn't remember it that's probably when he made the first choice to you know keep looking unless it was uh, teddy himself who, i was gonna say it yeah. depends on who made the choice was yeah. it lenny making the choice saying no we're going to keep looking for him or was it teddy saying okay well maybe i can work this to my advantage i think i think narratively it probably makes it sound more fulfilling if it was his own choice to do Mm -hmm. this not because like it would still work the idea that teddy made the choice initially and then this movie and the story we get of this movie is the first time that he actively chooses himself to like Mm -hmm. target a new person and because he knows that he'll forget that he'd already done it and he'll believe this is true. Like, he'll believe himself that this is true until he kills yep. the guy. And then, you know, what happens from there is maybe another reset and maybe a new target. Because um, yep. as we see, he's willing to lie to himself. And that, and that's the thing. I think on some level, if you just say it, phrase it that way, are people willing to lie to themselves? Yeah, they do it yeah. all the goddamn time. Absolutely. <laughs> so as a fundamental exploration of that idea, the movie obviously is uh, hitting it on the nose, which... Mm-hmm uh it's great because so so many good movie ideas are about taking like a broad idea and making it kind of literal and that's Mm -hmm. what this movie does effectively for some of these ideas is that it takes the idea of lying to yourself and makes it literal because you can't remember that you lie to yourself it -hmm. takes the idea of the memory loss and makes it literal in the structure of the movie so that we feel it like he does um so yeah i I think that's uh yeah Yeah, no i mean when it comes down to lying to yourself that is the thing where yeah, unless you you really have some trauma with whatever it is you're saying, but even then, it's still going to have the memories. You're still going to know that you're lying to yourself if you are consciously doing Wait. it. This is the only situation where it's a thing of no, you tell yourself this lie and you believe it 100%. Yeah. Like I think on some level in the real world for most people when they lie to themselves, you kind of know you've done it like you say, so there's like a there's a guilt. There's that pit. There's a guilt, but there's also, like... Like, you... Because sometimes it's, it's relatively innocent. Like, sometimes you lie to yourself to justify, oh, you know, I'll buy this, like, junk food, and I know it's bad mm. for me, but I'll lie to myself and say it's not that bad, or I'll lie to myself and say I can justify it with this. And it's not a big deal, because you're just like, oh, you know what, I want to feel better about treating myself. That's, like, the right. most innocent, like, small version of this. Yeah, and, it's the lie of, I'll go running tomorrow. Yeah. And that's that's completely fine. And that's, you know, it's the idea that you can process that differently. One, mm-hmm. because you can remember, but also because you always know the truth deep down. Whereas this is presenting a character 
who like doesn't really know the truth or if he does know the truth it's under layers that he can't really access so yeah it's, it's kind of all, almost no it brings up an interesting question of memory versus just the truth like you know see when people say like when you watch other movies or stories and you you have characters say uh, who get, maybe get amnesia but for some somehow deep down they still know they love their significant other right yeah it's kind of like toying with that idea of like memory versus just something that's just fundamentally true about yourself deep down mm-hmm. and like well, no. like are that's... you are you just a series of memories or is there something about you that is just fundamentally there the entire time that's that's was entire conversations of this movie is that teddy keeps calling up it's like you don't even know who you are and he says mm-hmm. i'm leonard shelby i was born in san francisco and teddy snaps back that's who you were that's not who you are things have changed you have changed yeah and it goes back to that same thing of is there a core representative of yourself inside you that is unchanging and steady as a person or are you just the sum of all the things that happen to you? Yeah, and it kind of comes into yeah. If you if you get like amnesia, like full on proper amnesia, and start from scratch, mm-hmm. do you effectively still become the same person? Because that's who you are. Which I, I guess gets into nature versus nurture kind of right. you know conversations. That so. comes down to Dick Grayson or Rick Grayson. <laughs> yeah. Um, not everyone watching this or listening to this, I think, will be a comic nerd and will get that reference, but uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate it all the same. Yep. So, so real quick, just wanted to finish up the plot of things going on around him. Um, the next morning, he wakes up and Dodd just recognizes his car because it's Jimmy's car, runs him off the road, and then we get into a chase slash gunfight where he's being chased down. Um. Lenny manages to get away. He, from Natalie, has Dodd's address, which can I just point out how everyone in this movie is staying at, like, some hotel or motel except for Natalie? Like, Jimmy's dealing out of the hotel, Dodd's staying in the hotel, Lenny's staying in the hotel. There's a lot of people living in hotels in California. Yeah, I don't have anything yeah. for you, yeah. Fair enough. Maybe, maybe um, Dodd's like a, you know, he's a different branch of the crime family who's in from out of town, and that's why he's at the motel. Yeah, it's possible. Um, so he goes to Dodd's hotel, and there's a wonderful little moment here where Lenny breaks into the wrong room and knocks out some random guy first before going to the correct one. I just found that hilarious. That was a fun little moment. Um, so then he fights Dodd, gets him knocked out, ties him. Oh, well, I guess. He loses consciousness first, or memory, hops in the shower, not knowing it's not his shower, and then fights Dodd. Um, yeah, he's, na- he's, na- he's naked for the fight, yeah, that's important. Oh yeah, can't, can't, absolutely. I can't remember, forget that. We had a gratuitous ass shot of Guy Pearce in this movie. Um, so then he calls up Teddy. Teddy then has no idea who this guy is, never dealt with him, so they uh, see that- Well, do we believe that though? Yeah, that's the thing. He lies about not knowing Natalie in this scene, despite an earlier or yeah. an earlier chronological scene saying that he Natalie's bad news and he shouldn't be sticking around with her. So that's a whole thing. Um, we then see him basically drive Dodd to the end of town, say, get packing or else I'll kill you. And then he goes to Natalie and says, what did you make me do? Providing evidence of Dodd. And she says, you offered to help me. This is has nothing to do with your investigation. You just offered to help me because he beat me up. And because of that, I will now help you. 
And so she runs the plate information that he got, which is, of course, Teddy's plates, which then gives him the driver's license info saying John Edward Gamble, along with Teddy's face. And it's worth mentioning at this point as well is that she all she knows about what happened to her boyfriend is that he was going to meet a guy named Teddy. So Mm -hmm. she actually has motive for Teddy to get comeuppance as well through all of this. But she doesn't know who Teddy is. She just knows the name Teddy. So when John Edward Gamble comes up, she has no idea that that's the guy that's connected to all this. So then he gets the license info. He Teddy comes in just to visit and they drive out to that abandoned place just because Natalie also knew it was where Jimmy did her or his business. Mm -hmm. And he shoots Teddy. And that's where the movie ends. That's where the movie starts. That's where the movie starts. It's so confusing <laughs> terminology. Yeah, no, there's a lot of little things along the way that I think are really smart. Like the scene where uh, Teddy's trying to convince him that Natalie's bad news and not to trust her. He mm-hmm. makes him write it down, write down that you can't trust her. And he does. But I noticed here that he intentionally writes it in like a different handwriting style. Like yeah. he, he doesn't write it in his normal style. Uh, so that he won't trust it later. Although, he actually does end up looking at the other photo of Teddy and it says, don't believe his lies, and he just immediately scribbles it out. But I thought that was quite smart, whereas, like, he's... Just inten- in case he forgot yeah. in the middle. He'd be he's, like, just, okay. he's intentionally making sure he doesn't trust this note later. I thought that was quite a, a fun little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's... There's a lot of, like, mechanical stuff throughout uh, and little jokey things. Like, the idea that the uh, Flash from Batman Begins, who runs the motel that he's staying at, like mm-hmm. he's charging him for two rooms because he, yeah. you know, he's like, hey, we can we can keep giving him new rooms because he doesn't remember uh, mm-hmm. that he was here already. So we'll just keep making him pay for new ones. Um, yeah. In fact, at the start of the movie, when he first sees him, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it doesn't bother me your condition as long as you remember to pay the bill. And then immediately Leonard starts whipping out cash. And I'm like, do you just say that every time you talk to him? Uh, you oh, know? yeah. <laughs> every time he's walking out the door, he's like, hey, Lenny, uh, this week's bill. You want to you come in? <laughs> so... Yeah, just all the, all these little things. Um, I mean, we keep talking about Teddy being a, like a dirty cop, but we actually don't know that until right at the very end where he finally says, don't worry, I'm a cop. Like, mm-hmm. we hear that there is a cop, you know, that's tangentially around the whole Jimmy G, uh, like, storyline, but we never yeah. actually know that he's the cop until the very end. So we have, we have Teddy telling a story that he's actually a snitch, and yeah. the dirty cop is the one who's messing with uh, Lenny and calling him up on the phone and then that's immediately followed with the scene where we see he was the one calling Lenny up on the phone so uh, yeah and there's a lot of little things as well where when he's getting his photo taken towards the end he says oh not here he doesn't want his car to be in the shot he's like making mm-hmm. sure that all these details like he's not he's not like letting him have enough evidence for later he's he's, he's curating yep. as much as possible what Leonard retains Mm-hmm. So there's all these little things that are really cool. I actually, on the phone thing, all throughout the color part of the movie, that's going backwards, mm-hmm. he keeps saying that he likes to talk to people face-to-face so he can look them in the eye. That's a big yeah. part of, you know, he doesn't like to talk to people on the phone. And all throughout the black and white segment, which is set earlier, he's talking to someone on the phone. And there's that great bit where he peels off this fresh tattoo, like he's got the, the bandage over it, and yep. he peels it off while he's talking to someone on the phone. And it says, never answer the phone. And immediately the, the tone, like it, it works quite well in the movie where you feel like, oh shit, like who's he talking to? Like, it feels like it's almost a b- horror movie setting yeah. where it's like, oh, this unknown caller now. Yeah, it's super effective. It's a really good little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, eventually the black and white like becomes the color part where he goes to 
meet Jimmy G, you know, Natalie's boyfriend, out in this yeah. abandoned location, and it switches to color when he takes the photograph of dead Jimmy, Jimmy. G, who he's yep. killed. He, he, you know, he, what he, he flicks the photograph to you know make it develop. Which and... is how the movie opened. Yeah, as well. but not by the same photograph. That's Teddy's photograph. Photo- yeah, it's yeah. just with the with the shaking the photograph. Yeah, but he shakes the photograph, and that's when it switches to color. And it's mm-hmm. almost like I, I think what the movie's almost doing, other than just obviously making it easy to follow the two timelines until they meet up. I think what the movie's doing with these the the, the black and white versus the color segment is that other than the flashbacks to his real life, which are also in color, although I can kind of justify that as well if I'm thinking about it, is that. This color segment, which starts here when he kills Jimmy G and lasts until the the beginning slash end of the movie, is effectively the entire time he thinks that uh, Teddy's his target, right? It's the start from that seed where he picks him as his next target, and it's this journey to kill him is all the color segment of the film. And Mm -hmm. I think what it's saying is, is that that effectively, if you consider him, obviously he's resetting his memory constantly, but if you consider each time that he kills someone and picks a new target as a complete reset of like who he believes he is, this is that version of the character. This is this in, uh, this era of who Leonard is. Yeah. And the black and white from before is, was a different Leonard who was after Jimmy G because that was the guy that he was targeting in that period. And I think yeah. the argument for why the flashbacks to his wife and the real, you know, quote-unquote real parts of his backstory are also in color is because those are always something he believes are real during any part of who he is. You know, they're all, you know. Yeah, tagging onto that, I think that another reason for it is technically the color bits as we're seeing them, despite the fact we're going backwards, they're all representative of now. They're all representative of this is the moment we are currently in. Whereas the uh, black and white stuff is earlier chronologically. It's then. So they're going to be, because of Leonard's condition, more faded, more faded out a different okay, color scheme yeah, stuff like bad. that and adding on to it that all of the stuff with his wife is in color is because again not able to make new memories he's constantly in that moment of his wife being killed he's constantly thinking about her in the now yeah, he's I'll, not able to move forward and i'll add even more to that is that the black and white stuff is the super unreliable stuff because there's technically flashbacks mm-hmm. in the black and white every time you know he tells the entire story of sammy in the black and white mm-hmm. segment and they're all in black and white but, but that I, might not even be yeah. real. But That's... as we learn, that is heavily false, if not entirely false, by the time we get to the... Because at the end, like the way Teddy talks, it sounds like there was a real Sammy G. Or not a Sammy, mm-hmm. sorry, a, a Sammy Jenkins. <laughs> I'm mixing Sammy up Jay. my names. Uh, but when, I, when you get to the end, I'm like, part of me was thinking, was there ever really even a, like a, a Sammy Jenkins? Is he just like mm-hmm. a made-up thing for himself to explain and put like all the things he regrets that he thinks that he did? onto this other character uh, so that he can make himself be this better version because Sammy, he couldn't learn with conditioning, but I can. I'm better. I can Mm -hmm. do this. But it's also worth noting that at no point, and he explicitly says numerous times, Sammy is not guilty. At no point here is Sammy a guilty party. He is, he does have this condition, but there's just something in his head that's stopping him. So if Sammy is a representation of himself, it's very important that he does not put any guilt on what he did in his past and uh, honestly i don't think that's unfair and i I would even say it's not Mm -hmm. unfair that like obviously leonard makes some choices that are morally dubious but when you think about like the the condition he has and the situation he's in Mm -hmm. 
Mm. I don't know if I ever think that you hate him as a. You, you, I, I think you're always no. sympathetic, even when he's making like a negative choice and he's making a bad choice. Like from his perspective, he, well, again, like the whole like his wife was murdered is kind of like something that he's conditioned himself to believe uh, mm-hmm. versus what maybe really happened. But his wife definitely died. But that's yeah. all we know. But he, like, you know, he's in this condition where this fresh, like, painful memories there, and like this idea that he couldn't. The idea of making up this story to deal with this absurd mental condition that most of us can't even like imagine going through mm-hmm. and feeling, like you can never completely like just villainize him for anything he does to try and deal no. with it. Like Absolutely. on some level, you always sympathize that he is this is the only way he can cope and give himself some semblance of like progression and momentum and and you know momentum mori that's your sequel <laughs> that's the crossover with the fast and furious franchise oh don't even joke about that uh, <laughs> I'm at, oh, that would probably make one of them more interesting though going in reverse oh yeah <laughs> there's, there's ideas there uh, but like i i think on some level if this is a, an exploration of a, a troubled character trying to deal with something they can't comprehend, like, I think there's always a sympathetic touch to it where mm. it's like, yeah, if you were going through something like this, you would probably make up something to try and just get you through the day, to get you through the guilt or the regret or the pain you feel. Because yeah. even if you want to say he's guilty of the choices he's making now, what he maybe did to his wife when she was trying to test him is not his fault. Although you get why he would blame himself if he ever, you know, knows it or finds out that he did this to his wife. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's 100. It's it's definitely, it goes back to what we've been saying that whole time, the lies that you tell yourself. I think everyone is able to sympathize with someone who has done something horrible through no fault of their own. Something like, even if something was like, you know, you some car crash or something that wasn't your fault but someone ends up dying because of it there's this guilt there's this pit in your stomach where you have to tell yourself that like it wasn't your fault but like you weren't responsible this has nothing to do with you and it's not even a lie at that point it's just how you have to face it how you have to deal with it in your own way the difference with lenny being he can't deal with it. He can't move on. So he has to yeah, and that, create this lie. That's the beauty of the, this concept is that it lets us explore this in a completely pure sense where, mm-hmm. you know, he can't move on. And I think it's interesting you compared it to Falling already. There is a little bit of Inception in this because Inception, yeah. like the main character in Inception, is dealing with the guilt over his backstory with his wife. Mm-hmm. And that's a movie that's a bit more like maybe potentially leading to a point where maybe he can get over it because he, well he's not suffering from this condition for a start but <laughs> this guilt over something that happened with his wife and what he did to his wife is definitely like a through line between the two movies so again it's another like theme that nolan has come back to on mm-hmm. some level i i i very much think that nolan has two major interests one is memory and one is time because every one of his movies, barring Batman to some extent, is focused on some aspect of that in some respect of like either how does someone deal with the like memories and like dreams and stuff like that? How do they how does the human mind basically function in that regard? Or how do we experience these events? How does time function? How does it how does today relate to yesterday relate to tomorrow sort of thing? And this one, this memento, is just the perfect blending of those two things, where yeah. it's 
messing with the memory aspect more so, but even again with the structure, it messes with that time aspect as well. Yeah, and on the regret and the guilt over the wife aspect, um, one of the things that he cited as a big influence on Inception, and I think it probably tracks as an influence for this as well, is uh, Solaris, which is a movie, hmm. uh, which is a science fiction film set in a space station with next to this planet or in this planet that is like affecting everyone and basically brings dead people from their past like back to life to talk to them. But it's not really yeah. them, obviously, but it's all this reflective stuff of like their guilt and the people that they uh, have regrets over. And I think you can see that that movie's an influence. Like, he said it specifically about Inception, but I think when you watch this, you can definitely see that influence here as well. Like, this oh, idea yeah. of, like, again, much to go along with the idea that he can't move on and forget things, all these memories of his wife all feel recent. They all feel that like she's still there to him in some level, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that also ties into that idea of Solaris. And so... So one thing I did want to bring up, it's not really to any specific point of the story, but just something I noticed on this particular rewatch is his wife, when we have them actually talking to each Mm -hmm. other, and also just those shots of her like walking around doing whatever. Honestly, now you're bringing this up, I think there's only one scene, one flashback where you see them just sort of talk to each other. It's when she's sitting reading the book and he asks about it. Yeah, right. So because of that scene and because of all the other shots where it's like her looking wistfully away or something like that, Mm. I kind of got the vibe that all of these little shots, these little glimpses of memories are after she's already fallen into the Sammy Jenkins' wife sort of role of getting upset that he can't remember things because she doesn't feel like she's like super in love with him. It's not these happy moments. It's not the running down the beach or the smiling or anything it feels like she's already tired and she's already upset in some regard. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um, the idea that all these memories are of... The... Not the fake. Like post, not, post-incident, post-assault. Not the fake way, but like the idea that he hasn't even... Like, he says he remembers the real wife, but what he's actually remembering most of the time is this idea of his wife mm-hmm. that... He was frustrated when he couldn't make new memories. Um, I didn't necessarily get it from that conversation specifically about reading the book, um, but I do think thematically it ties in because he says, "Oh, you're reading that book again," mm-hmm. and you know, you know, I think he says, uh, "Like, isn't the point of a book like not knowing what's going to happen next?" And she's like, "No, I'm reading it because it's it's good." And it's the idea that she can, like, she's actually enjoying living in the like repeating the same moments throughout this book. She's enjoying not moving forward with it and just having this like staple to her mm-hmm. and maybe in like, su- maybe in some level he sees some comfort in that because that's essentially yeah. what he's forced to do now is never move forward mm-hmm. but like even in that conversation just the way that she because you said like oh no i enjoy it like she doesn't phrase it that way as she says as he says why do you keep reading that book you've read like a hundred times her exact line is don't be a dick i will i read it because i enjoy it like she she comes across as like strangely upset and I, it struck me in the sort of way of like he's asked this question of her over and over and over again every time she's reading it and she keeps on having to give the same answer because he doesn't remember that's the way i was kind of picking up is that this I, is all post-incident sort of stuff i don't know if i got that from that scene and i actually think it's thematically a little nice touch if this conversation happened before, like this condition, mm-hmm. because oh yeah, thematically, yeah, yeah sure. because because she's you know, she's she's doing this over and over again, and it's the idea that 
like she's mad at him for asking this again like he's definitely brought this up before but i think it's actually kind of like a, a nice poignant touch that even when we don't have this condition some there are some things that we stick on that we do mm-hmm. bring up and people get annoyed at us for like why do you always bring up that i do this or why do you always like why can't you let this thing go it, it's almost like this is the the real like everyday example of the thing that he now is literally having to just yeah that he has to do yeah, yeah. I, I, there's an interesting little touch like this is like the normal version that he experienced just like everyone else does uh, before mm-hmm. all this happened um yeah. but i mean the idea that a lot of this happened after the incident like i don't think there's enough in the movie to prove or disprove that it's an interesting idea mm-hmm. um it certainly ties into this uh, unreliable like memory aspect and like right. he says he couldn't make any new memories after the incident but like all we have to go on is his word on that because then also during that final reveal scene we get those short little glimpses of him in Sammy's place yeah. so he's it, maybe it's just him imagining him in Sammy's place or maybe these are his actual memories of him doing these things like you said the pinching the wife compared to the giving the wife her shot that's the sort of thing of a memory versus the planted idea is it possible that you know it didn't like it's something that got worse like at first he could make some memories and then it's sort of over time it's gotten worse um or alternatively maybe this is an interesting narrative question to bring up is it's not that he can't make any new memories but it's almost like to deal with the guilt of what's happened he's made his condition worse mm. like he doesn't want to remember anything so it's a trauma response rather than yeah a... like okay. the idea that he he was like having trouble with memories but there if these like little figments of actually seeing himself give the wife the, the shots and mm-hmm. these little moments that maybe there was some truth that he could get better maybe his wife was right assuming that the wife Which... believed that she could snap him out of it or that he could get better maybe there was some truth to that and then Which would when, then make more sense as to why the insurance turned them down if he was actually yeah, yeah, yeah. able to make some new memories. But the idea that then the, the tragedy happened of her dying, mm-hmm. he, in effect, has regressed more back into the, the memory loss. And whether it's by choice or just like a a trigger in his brain that he can't deal with it. So it's like it's actually made himself worse as time has went on. Right. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I I I have not done a lot of which, extra reading into this movie, but it's possible. Which honestly, that idea would play into the the theme of what this is really based on and about mm-hmm. is the idea that we do this to ourselves to cope with something, or we do this to ourselves because we can't let revenge go or anger go. So the mm-hmm. idea that he's actually almost, in a sense, done like done this to himself, where his condition's as bad as it is, because it's the only way he can like like forget the guilt of what he's done and instead he's turned it into anger for someone else by you know pointing it at you know john g over and over again right yeah. yeah and i think what's a testament to this is that so much of what we're talking about right now is us just taking breadcrumbs from the movie and going further with them because mm-hmm. it is a very thought-provoking film. it's a very psychological film it's dealing with the psychology of this character how he views mm-hmm. the world how he views himself how much of that's true how much of it's a lie but it's inspiring all this conversation about what's really going on and i think i think there's like a a quick read of it which is probably mostly right which is that no there was a sammy g uh he sorry a sammy g a sammy jenkins right there was a sammy jenkins he yeah. adopted some of his story but he actually killed his own wife uh not intentionally of course with the insulin mm-hmm. and then he's been chasing these like dragons as it were 
to give yeah. himself this purpose. That's the, the quick, simple read, and it works, and the movie completely is satisfying with that read. But then when you mm-hmm. keep thinking about it and you're looking for the details, like, oh, but, like, maybe this, maybe that, maybe all these other things. And I think it's just a testament to just how strong the concept holds up and how thought-provoking the film is. Yeah. No, I mean, it is... It, that's the thing with this movie, though, is that, like I said, I watched this two months ago. I, I sat down, I watched this beginning to end for what more or less should have been the first time, because it's been years prior to that. So I was going in, I knew the basic premise, I understood the structure of the movie, but a lot of the details were lost. Having watched it now, just two months ago, I'm able to pick up on so many more details that that first time through when you're watching it, you get lost in the structure. You get lost with just trying to remember like, oh, this is what the previous scene was, and then we led into that. But when you're free from that, when you're able to just focus on the details themselves, that's where you start digging into this deeper stuff, this idea that like how much of this is actually to be presented at face value and how much is a lie told to not only the audience, but Lenny himself. But notably, it still works. Yeah, either it, way, it's it, still it, a good movie. Arguably, it works even better on repeat mm-hmm. viewings because you're you're able to sort of like, okay, I get what's going on, the broad strokes of it, and knowing what's coming and what the, the quote-unquote truth might be, you yep. then start examining all the details to how they tie into that truth. It's the same reason that I watched Inception like four or five times when I first <laughs> got it on Blu-ray because I each time you uncover just a little bit extra. That, Nolan yeah. is very good at doing that. That's a movie that got better with repeat viewing. And I loved it the first time. I loved Inception. Is, yeah, is it, same. Just as a blockbuster, it worked really well with a really great ending. But mm-hmm. then you watch it a couple more times and all that stuff about the guilt of his wife and the, the influence of Solaris, that's stuff that shines even more with more viewings because mm-hmm. you start to really pay attention to what's motivating the character, why he's doing what he's doing, what what the real cause of all these problems are. Um, it, It's great stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, no, Memento, shockingly, uh, is still fantastic <laughs> and it holds up what? very well. Uh, is that what you got out of this? I thought it was garbage. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I was looking up a couple of the actors in this who I didn't recognize. Because I, I recognize most of them, obviously. Uh, and mm-hmm. This is Carrie-Anne Moss a year after The Matrix. Like, what yeah. I get. Like, I'm sure The Matrix maybe didn't come out yet when this was being shot. But you have to imagine that when The Matrix came out and start, obviously became this like big hit, that, you mm-hmm. know... If not Nolan, certainly the producers who were like funding this were like, oh, baby, we've I got just, a star. I just imagine that she came out like Matrix was already announced. Well, I, actually, was, like, being... Also, Joey Pants was also the Matrix. I should probably mention oh, yeah. that too. For sure. I just imagine that like Nolan went over to Carrie Ann Moss and like got them signed and all that. And they're like, yep, yeah, as soon as you guys are done with Matrix reshoots, just come on over and we'll uh, get started. I, I think the reason why and I then, didn't. I think the reason why I didn't mention Joy is because he was already known from like the eighties and stuff. Whereas Carrie yeah. Ann Moss, I feel like before Matrix, she wasn't known, and the Matrix yeah, made her known exactly. Yeah, but I just imagine he signed their contracts or whatnot, and then Matrix came out, and he's just sitting there fist pumping in his office, like they signed their contracts, they're in. <laughs> yes, well, that's what happened with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. She signed this big like multi picture X Men deal, and then became a star with Hunger Games. And right. then, like, it was like this just obligation to do all these other X Men movies for years, and she didn't really need to do them, but they were like, "Yes, we've got our, we've got our like, lockdown." Oh, I'm sorry, you want to bail? Well, let me just show you subsection D here. <laughs> um, the actress that I looked up, though, uh, the actress who plays uh, Leonard's wife, yes, um, 
she has done a lot of CSI. Like she's she's mm-hmm. had a very strong career just doing CSI shit and stuff like Which, that. It looks like she started doing CSI like right after this movie came out. Mm. So she's she's had but a very fruitful she, career good on her she, she's in the new one because they're rebooting the original called csi vegas which is where the original was set and she's in that apparently oh okay um i also i looked up the prostitute because she looked familiar but when i looked her up this was the last thing she did <laughs> like she did like stuff for about huh. a decade before this but this was the last thing she was in according to indb i don't know the only thing she's been in that i might recognize her from is an episode of seinfeld from 1993 yeah, I'm looking through it. I'm not seeing anything yeah. that gets me. So, so you know. Um, one thing I did want to point out, though, uh, tiny little nod that Nolan did during the scene where he is burning his wife's items, mm-hmm. and even the scene before that with this prostitute, um, the clock, the clock that they have there for her to set about was a recycled prop from the following. It was one of the things that was in her box ah, that was... Really? Okay stolen so nice one of the tiny little carryovers there yeah and of course he then followed up the bat symbol and following with a whole trilogy of movies just those tiny little easter eggs you don't even notice (laughs) yeah well that's interesting because we've already said that uh you know Cobb and inception is named after the character and following i wonder if all of these movies have some sly little reference to following in some way possible i mean we can keep an eye out we're gonna be doing a bunch of these so yeah. See what we can get out of it. Obviously, with Batman, he didn't even have to try. He's like, well, there was a Bat logo, so, I mean, that's covered. Yeah. All of them. Just look at that one shot in that movie. That's all you need. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Uh, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so, no, um, that that's basically Memento. And this is, like, I wonder if this conversation was even fun to follow and listen to because it was so... If not, if you press the zero to nine keys on your keyboard on YouTube... You can jump around in the conversation, and you can just simulate <laughs> as if we were. Uh, very good. Um, also, I want to say, we see when we eventually meet Jimmy G, which is you know Carrie Ann Mossy's boyfriend that kind of mm-hmm. triggers that part of the story um, with him killing him, um, and obviously he takes the clothes and the car from him. When we finally meet him and we see he's got this like porno mustache, I'm like, whoa! This is like Natalie's boyfriend this whole time. Was this dude? Yeah. Jimmy's got a heart of gold. He has a right. he has an uncredited daughter that he's caring for. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not kidding. There's a girl credited as Jimmy's daughter that oh, really? I don't remember at all. Maybe she was in the photograph because there was a photo of him and Natalie. Maybe she was mm, in that or something. Maybe I don't know. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I just I was like, this is the guy that we've been talking about this whole movie. Is this dude? Yep. Uh, and he seems friendly enough with uh with Leonard. You know, he's like, hey, it's the memory guy. He seems happy to see him. Yeah, you know, that's the th- I I feel like Jimmy, again, that's one of those plots that didn't get any sort of real resolution. But I imagine Jimmy is kind of like the better call Saul to oh, this okay. movie's Breaking yeah. Bad, where it's like he's got his whole other story going on, and I would have loved to see it. Yeah, but it makes the world feel more fleshed out. That, that he does, there is, this does seem to be more of a story with him that we don't go into. It's just you know because mm-hmm. it's not his story, and that's okay. Uh, so yeah. it works. Um, but I, don't know, I got a chuckle out of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one line that I do want to bring up, just as my all-time favorite in this movie, is he, uh, when he attacks Dodd, he has Dodd's gun on, like, the bedside table of the mm-hmm. hotel bed, and he pulls it out in front of Teddy, and he's like, must be his gun. I don't think they'd let me, or a guy like me, have one. And Teddy's <laughs> just like, I certainly hope not. 
But that's the gun that he has for the. That's the gun that he eventually shoots Teddy with. So yeah, you know, there's so many things that are set up as you go back through the story of things that are mentioned or in that opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all it's all very good. So yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's wonderful stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't really, I don't think I have any like real critiques all that much. Uh, no. I, I think the only thing I critique is that there's a little bit in the middle where some of the scenes are like maybe a little too short, where you're going between the color and black and white so quickly that yeah. it feels like they're not substantial enough, and maybe they should have been combined together. But that is such a minor like nitpick. Yeah. yeah, there's that's the only thing that I had any sort of issue with is the fact that some of the black and white scenes are literally three lines, if mm. even. They are extremely short. The only other thing that I had a problem with was at the very end of the movie, not the very end, but the sequence where um, Natalie goes around and has everyone spit in the cup and then makes Lenny drink it. Yeah. The end of that sequence of her saying, let me get you another cup, I think this one's dusty, does not lead in with that little overlap section to the sequence that should have come before. That's the only time that it breaks its structure. And I know it's meant to show, like, a passing of time, where it's, okay, there's no way we could have shown them getting to Natalie's apartment. Because that's the thing, early on, because of the structure, like, every time we're going backwards with each of these scenes, they all, like, they're effectively in real time, because they all have to Mm -hmm. link up so strictly... I yes. think I, I think you can accept that by the time you get towards the end, we're so used to right. the structure, we can trust it, and we can just say, okay, it's, yeah, like you say, it's showing the passing of some time between these two scenes. Right, but that's the only time that it breaks the structure, and that's, I mean, I don't really need it. As I said, I understood the passing, I understood how it went, but that's, if I would have liked this movie just that little bit extra if it managed to hold the structure the entire way through and never falter. Yeah, yeah. No. So. Uh, all right, what are you rating Memento? I mean, I could hem and haul like I usually do, but I'm just going to flat out say it's a nine. It's a great movie. It's fantastic. I I barely have any issue with it. The only thing that I am knocking off that little extra point for is the fact that it just doesn't... It I'm Looking into it after the fact, I feel like we explore it very well. I feel like it is something that you leave with a sense of there was this larger story being told but you really have to sit down and watch it. But I do feel like it's only a a theming, a thing that comes across after like a viewing or two. It's not something you get after just a single watch through. It's something you really have to dive into and like look for these smaller details, look for these things that otherwise would have been overlooked. Whereas shows that we're doing on our sister show, The Collection, like those things I can watch a single time through and I come out feeling like, okay, I... I feel these themes. I am understanding. I don't have to go through and watch it again. This one, a single viewing just is not enough to get it through. Yeah. And I do think that a movie does need to have that on a single viewing I to fe- some extent. I feel like it's an interesting thing that's specific to... I mean, I'm sure other directors, there's probably examples I could bring up, but Nolan, mm. this is like one of his things where his movie works the first time as a... No, I won't say straightforward because it's not straightforward in this case, but right. but as a as a really satisfying, entertaining kind of in this case thriller with these later films more blockbustery, but then there's depth that you get on the mm-hmm. repeat viewings where there's all these details that you can start to dig into. I find that very satisfying, and I think it's a really interesting trick that they work on a surface level way on their own first, and then mm-hmm. there's more to it afterwards. 
Whereas, you know, the films you're talking about, like from uh, the collection, the Criterion movies that we do, mm-hmm. th- those, like, they need all those details and the themes in the first viewing because uh, without them, they'd be maybe a bit too straightforward uh, in terms of just their, their, their stories. They're not all of them, but yeah. it, you know, it varies depending. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's a really interesting skill that Nolan's good at, and it's, a, it's an interesting line oh, to yeah. write, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say this, on this subject, you know, we did Interstellar on the Ace, our sci-fi movie podcast, The Atomic Cinema Experiment, go check it out. Um, we, we did that maybe sometime early last year, I want to say, and okay. I hadn't seen that since it came out. And I liked it a lot when it came out, but I definitely had a bit more problems with it than, say, Inception or some of these other things that I loved more. When I mm. watched Interstellar again with the second viewing, knowing the broad strokes and remembering where it was going... I liked it more. Like, I actually got more out of it on the second viewing. And I think that's something that might be consistent with Nolan, bizarrely. Yeah, I'm not saying that I don't think that it gets better with later viewings. I think it does. But I do think that, say, like, a movie like Tenet. I think Tenet is a movie that if you watch it, like, three, four times, you really, like, follow everything, you understand where everything's going, that's great. But a movie does need to survive based off of a single viewing. And Tenet is, I think, where it's on the other side of that, where... It doesn't give enough I, I in think a single viewing. No, I think it's tenets where it's teetering on the edge of maybe not being quite there. And as someone mm-hmm. who loves the way Nolan plays with things, I, I still get a lot out of it, and I think I'll Same. like it more when I see it again. Mm-hmm. I think Memento does work on the first viewing, though. Um, I think it I think it works, but I think there's just a couple things in the themes and a couple things of, like, we were saying, um, like what I was saying, of you get lost in the structure. It takes you are paying so much attention to how does the movie work that you lose some of the finer details. It's only on the second viewing that the finer details are able to present themselves. I think it's debatable if that's good that's, or bad. You know, this whole I, thing has been a yeah. debate. That's fine. I'm not yeah, saying no, it's I'm, not. I'm just like part of me thinks like should that be like a negative though? I don't know if <laughs> like because it does work so well in a first viewing and then works well in a different way on a second viewing, mm. like on a, on some level I think that's like some, some sort of wizardry that, that Nolan's concocting, but I mean it's 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 still a nine. I'm not yeah. saying that it's oh, like no, no, oh, this, just, didn't, this didn't work as well I, as it could have the I, second time. I'm just de- I'm just debating this point though because I, I think you've you know I think you're onto something when you say ten. It's maybe skirting the line a little bit where it almost doesn't quite work well enough on the first. I mean it did to me, but like mm. I agree that it's kind of like on the edge of working the first time, and I right. suspect it will work really well on the second viewing, but because I've not seen it again yet. But um, I, I think with this... I have gone back and watched it three times, and oh. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around certain things. <laughs> but, but you know, but I, I think this does work really effectively on, on a first viewing, and then does enhance and get better. And, and the way that a movie with a twist, if it's a good twist and feels like it's actually affecting the story properly and is is built in properly, can mm. affect a movie on a second viewing and make it a satisfying second time. I think this does that in in different ways. So that's fair. Yeah. Uh, that's it, though. I'm, I'm still giving it an 8 out of 10. That's, that's what I'm, I'm hitting it with. All right. <laughs> Works for me. So, oh. in terms of the collection, this one's obviously just barely making the cut, right? It's like <laughs> skeetering. Very good. Very good. So, the, the question really is, is it making the cut or is it a cut above? I mean, if, if I'm going to go first here, I'm going to say cut above. I think that this is prime Nolan. I think this is... Like, as much as I love Inception, that's probably my favorite movie from him, ignoring the Batmans, because that's where it gets a bit complicated with my love for DC as well. I think that 
this movie is just where he just hit the ground running. Following was a kind of just a test run, which is why I think a lot of people don't go back to it. But this movie is his first thing where he had major actors, major money, supportive studio, and he just made something incredible that, like you said, has not managed to be replicated since, not even in a poor imitation way. Nobody has tried to do it because it was done so well this first time. So I think it's a cut above for sure. And for the record, I believe someone probably did try, but it's been so, like, mm. like not worth noting that it's, it's not, even someone who pays attention to movies, I've not even come across a whiff right. of it. Uh, so, yeah, I'll agree with a cut above. I, I think it's a special film, I think. It's really hard to set a baseline for what I expect to, like, make that that distinction of a cut above versus making the cut and right but i think memento is a really good you know because we've kind of done a lot of franchises so there's not been a lot of movies that have really like tempted us to to put it in there yeah you know um i think raiders of the lost ark was we probably give that above the cut a cut above uh, ba, ba, ba. yes that yeah one i imagine we probably that. did um that's the only one in the main series over on patreon we've had a couple but that's the only one <laughs> although not necessarily for the same reasons uh no we, we will point out uh yeah i i'm happy to see a cut above with this one i think for sure so okay uh, there you go that is uh that is memento so next week now we're recording all these we will have recorded all of our nolan episodes like before mm-hmm. these even start coming out but next week us from the future should be talking about oppenheimer so look yes. forward to that. Uh, and then join us again for the animated Turtles movie, TMNT, <laughs> the week after, before the new Turtles movie comes out. And we will be back to Christopher Nolan after those two Turtles movies with, um, uh, what we got, we got uh, Prestige, we got Insomnia, we got Dunkirk, is the, the other three Nolan films yep. that will come in the second half of Nolan season. So that is the plan for the next little while on Collector's Cut. So hopefully you look forward to all that. Um, and we'll see you for, for more Nolan. Uh, but yes, as as kind of alluded to, we have bonus content over in Patreon. If you want to support the show and get some extra things, you can. Uh, $3 and up in Patreon, you get the bonus show every month, which is us talking about a movie, usually it's loosely connected in some way to mm-hmm. whatever the main show is doing. Sometimes it's more connected than others. You know, If we're doing disaster movies, for example, we'll do a disaster movie in the bonus episode. However, sometimes when it's like a director like this, it's kind of hard to pick one, unless they have like such a big filmography that there's some weird little thing but i didn't like because david suggested doing falling as a bonus and i'm like no i want people to know about following i want the world to know yeah. about following but yeah so um but yeah you get a bonus I- episode every month and at the five dollar tier and up you get access to collector's cut extra reels which is us doing a so bad it's good movie well hopefully yeah. anyway <laughs> uh so yes uh coming up on this month's edition of that uh or you know, probably already out by now, is uh, Double Down, a Neil Breen movie, an auteur in his own right, uh, you might say. I feel like we're tarnishing one of their names by having <laughs> the other one coming out at the same time, but I'm not sure who. I mean, it's definitely Nolan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely Big Chris. That's, that's not a lie. So, yeah. So, yeah, you get bonus content. There's bonus content for the other shows, like the Atomic Cinema Experiment. And that's got a bonus show as well. So, yeah, if you want some bonus content, uh, go and check out all the stuff. But that's that's, that's it. That's my, my, my pitching. Uh, otherwise, though, you can support us by liking, subscribing, watching the content, sharing us on social media, whatever it may be. 
But uh, that is the show. Thank you once again for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep watching movies. And I'm realizing we're just about hitting two hours with this one. So very good. Yeah. Uh, so thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Keep watching movies. And I can't remember to forget that I watched the Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah.